welcome to the REI Mastermind Network, where host Jack Haas gathers amazing stories from leaders in real estate investing. In each episode, our guests will tell you what they're doing that works, what they've tried that failed, and best of all, you'll learn actionable steps to take your real estate investing to the next level. Now, here's Jack with another value-packed episode. Chris Miles joins me after a hiatus. Chris, I really appreciate your time here today, and you can learn what he and his team are up to by going to moneyripples.com. But we're going to cover everything from why infinite banking sucks to how Chris became financially free a couple times over and what that means, and then possibly why you should fire your financial advisor. But Chris, thanks for your time here again today. Hey, it's going to be back, Jack. You know, I didn't mean to make that rhyme, but it kind of worked, didn't it? You just don't say hello to me on an airplane. <laughs> Definitely so, not. This you know, like, I haven't hey, used Jack. That's, right? that's one of my go-to jokes. It's in my back pocket, and you're the first person I got to use it with on this five yes. over 500 episodes now. That's awesome. So, well, Chris, I, you know, it's always great to, to touch base since the last time we talked your, your YouTube and, and podcast has gotten fairly pretty popular. How has that growth been and how has that helped with your business? Oh, it's been awesome. I mean, I, I really am on kind of a mission, right. To, to help educate people, to kind of be that contrarian voice to the masses, especially the media and everything else that's out there, much like you are. And it's been catching on. Like we've definitely got you know more more YouTube subscribers now than we had before. We got more podcast listeners. We're in top one percent of all podcasts worldwide. So we're very very happy about that. We're very pleased and and uh, definitely look forward to uh, this year of twenty twenty four to keep that going and keep keep helping liberate people. Yeah, if everybody wants to hear your background story, I'm going to point them to the previous episode, and I'll try to have a link to that in the show notes. But it'd be great to chat a little bit about the current economic situation and uh, because you went through kind of a down, down, that's down cycle. I would maybe put it lightly. And then you had to kind of rebuild your, your business again. Do you see any similarities as to what you went through in 07, 08 and, and what's going on now in, in our economy? Some similarities. Yes. and no. I think some of the basic strategies and even some principles are uh, still apply like being cash rich right now is a very very good idea and i might even mention that a year and a half ago too because in 2022 when everybody was saying don't hold cash invest it you'll lose to inflation that's exactly when i started holding cash was in 2022 and now i mean what we've seen in the real estate market especially is that those that were not heavy with cash were the ones that went bankrupt in the real estate business, right? They were the ones that got just their teeth kicked in. And in fact, uh, I mean, many, many of my investor friends, they're telling me, even the ones that went through their last recession, they're saying that 2022 going into 2023 was the hardest time. They thought 2008 was easy compared to what they just dealt with in the last couple of years. So it's a, I would definitely say that there are some similarities, but it is different. It's different in the sense that, you know, home values are still up, but Real estate can be challenging because it's all about profit, cash flow, and, and having cash on hand. And so that's one big thing I've, I've encouraged all of our own clients to do as well is make sure you have cash ready to go, build up that war chest, because 
the one thing you're going to start seeing more and more are there going to be people that are desperate. Investors are going to be desperate to unload the equity from the properties and be able to get rid of them. You might be able to buy at a great discount coming up in this near future. Yeah. The, the market is really, it's still pretty strange, at least in, in my area where it, it seemed like a lot of the buyers as probably due to the higher interest rates have shifted mm -hmm. down to smaller houses where we would have seen them buying three hundred, four hundred thousand dollar houses. They're buying two hundred, three hundred thousand. You know that. Yeah. So the buyer class has shifted down to you know more affordable houses. So that there's that sweet spot that we we continue to play in that seems to be still pretty lucrative. Yeah, that's one thing I, I I've told a lot of our clients over the last several years is that. You know, because because everybody still has the memory of 08. That's the key thing. If if someone still has fear about a market, then you're not going to see a big down market, right? It's the markets that they're like nothing can go wrong. There's euphoria. There's complete optimism. Even like gambling speculation. You know, that's why I stayed away from Bitcoin. You know, before it crashed. In fact, I sold out some of the Bitcoin I had right when it was at a height. You know, and even now it still hasn't recovered to what I sold it for. You know, there's things like that. The stock market has been overly, like overvalued, way higher than it should be. Real estate hasn't been that way. Real estate didn't really get that because people still had fear about real estate. When Understand that most recessions or hard times, markets, when the bubbles pop, it's usually when people don't expect it. They usually think that nothing can go wrong. That's exactly when it goes wrong. When Yeah, it's when everybody's greedy, that's when you should be fearful. But when everybody's fearful, that's when you should be greedy. And real estate, people never stopped being scared. Even as real estate took off, people were still like, oh, it's going to come crashing down because they remember that one time in 2008 where values actually dropped. Ignoring history, where the last several recessions prior, real estate didn't tank. Real estate didn't drop in price from the beginning of each of the, to the end of each of those recessions. But they remember the last one and they all say, oh, real estate, bad buy, don't do it. That's exactly when you know to do the opposite of the masses, and that's when you should buy, right? When everybody says don't buy, that's when you should buy. I'll give you an example, and I'm going to give you guys this kind of glimpse first, but I was just at a real estate mastermind recently and talking with different operators all over the country. The one thing that we we're all starting to notice is that just in the, in the very last few weeks, really of December of 2023, people were starting to come back in the buyer's market again and in droves. Why? Because the interest rates dropped. From October to December, it even, you know, kind of still held steady through January. That right there, guys, that is that is a sign that people come back in. In fact, for every 1%, just the 1% drop in interest rates allowed 5 million more Americans to be able to qualify to buy a home. And the last couple of years, Americans have been holding off because either interest rates were too high, they're waiting for them to come down, but then they just kept going up, up, and away like Superman, right? Well, as they've now come back down, you're going to see come up this spring to summertime, Values are going to increase. I predict that nationwide, it's different markets will be different results. And nationwide, I think we'll see a 5% increase in value. So picture this. If you're a real estate investor and you say, you know what? I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait until I hear from the media that the market's going back up again. I'm going to hold off. Well, let's just say you hold off till May or June when everybody else is jumped back in the market because that's the summertime. That's when families want to start buying their homes and making that transition during the summer break. Well, if you start doing that, and let's just say the values go up 5%, let's say you're trying to buy a $300,000 home, that means that home is now going to sell and probably most likely have multiple bid offers for at least $315,000.
that means you just paid $15,000 more than you should have because you waited a couple extra months. That to me, that's an opportunity because if you buy now, you get it now and then it appreciates 5%, you just made, you just made bank, right? You just made money for free for doing nothing extra. But again, most people are waiting to hear the media tell them it's okay. That is a bad, bad mistake. You do not want to follow the media. If the media says something's good, you're too late. And you, you bring up a good point, you know, and frankly, frankly, it's the, the first time in a while where I finally saw in the news cycle where there was the hint that the Fed might drop rates finally. Yeah. Like, so yeah, we're just seeing that now. And uh, you're absolutely right with the spring market. And even if they drop it, well, if they drop it at all, I think you're at, we're going to see an influx of buyers again. Well, and that's the crazy thing is that everybody's focusing on the feds, right? But what they were talking about was the 10-year treasury note that mortgage rates, like the 30-year fixed mortgage, is based on. So we're waiting for the feds, and that's a home equity line of credit. If you're getting that, yeah, that makes a difference. But if you have a home equity line of credit, it's just holding steady right now, probably like between 9 and 10% for you. But mortgage rates, they were up near 8%. And now they're down below 7 They're now into the sixes, the mid-sixes currently. So think about that. Like, you like everybody's saying, oh, we got to wait for interest rates to come down. Maybe March to June, we'll start seeing that happen. It's already happened. The feds are always behind the game. The feds just mm-hmm. follow whatever the 10-year treasury yield does, right? So when I, when I open up like my little thing, I track like the markets, you know, and I'm seeing what's going on. I even look at currencies. I'll also look at my 10-year treasury note because that right there is the real indicator of what the feds will actually do. The feds do not set interest rates. They follow suit with what they watch happen in that treasury market. So watch that rate if you want to see what the future holds. And you'll see, of course, the rates have dropped significantly since October. And that right now, those 30-year fixed mortgages drop significantly enough that people can actually afford to buy in. And once people start to start looking for homes again, you're usually about March, right? Because people start looking ahead of time before the summer break. That's when you're going to start noticing more and more competing offers. Now, if you have a property, this could be a great advantage for you because this might be the time to sell. Because if you want competing offers, that's a good thing. You might be able to get some good equity out of that play. But if you're also looking to purchase properties, you probably want to do that now sooner than before you're trying to sell these other properties. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's especially interesting that, you know, what the media tells people is what they kind of run with. Mm-hmm. I don't believe a lot of the, you know, residential buyers, you know, that would be looking in the market. They know that the mortgage rates have been dropping. They wait for the broadcast news to tell them the Fed is dropping the interest rate. Mm-hmm. Yep. You so you had the curve. Well, you know, based on what you're saying here, you know, it sounds like get in now while you can, while the while you have some opportunity, because it sounds like it's likely going to increase the. Oh, I look at I just got a little thumbs up. I I just noticed that. <laughs> it sounds like you are going to take advantage of opportunities that are going to be fleeting at best. Be cash rich is what another thing that you brought up based on your experience. So you knew you had it firsthand. What else should somebody be ready for in this current market? You know, you really need to be, I think I'm going to mention this last podcast, but the principles are still the same. Like I still foresee that there will be a recession coming in 2024. Again, the media doesn't want to talk 
talk about that right now. They think that we we got out of it squeaky clean. Nothing happened. We had a soft landing or no landing. I still think that there's going to be issues. So in addition to having more cash and what can even help you build more cash faster is getting lean. Whether you're a business owner and your personal finances or both places, do not waste money right now. Do not, and I'm not saying live on rice and beans. Don't go all Dave Ramsey on us and, and destroy your life, right? I'm not saying that. I'm saying be wise with your money. Be a wise steward. Start to really understand like where am I best able to spend money and where should I cut back? Where should I get leaner with my finances? Because right now is a good time to do that. That again, profit is everything. Profit is true with real estate and investing. Profit is true in your business if you're a business owner and it's true even at home. You need to be profitable. So if anything does shift or change, you're protected. You know the where, where you're able to go. Now, I know a lot of times people say, okay, Chris, let's say I am getting lean and mean. I'm cutting back on expenses and I'm starting to save money. But honestly, Chris, I hate using my savings account, right? Like I hate the fact that I make very little. Like should I get a high yielding savings account? Should I put in these CD, bank CDs? Well, I don't know if I trust the banks. I mean, since we last spoke, I mean, we had... The last year, it's funny how it's just kind of blown over, but we had three big banks fail and they weren't, they weren't just small little nobodies, right? They were large banks. Some of the biggest bank failures we've had, even, even since last recession. And then all of a sudden it magically is okay. I wonder if there's more behind the scenes than we, than we realize. So if I want, if, if I worry about my bank possibly having issues, and by the way, FDIC, who supposedly has all these reserves to protect your money in the bank, understand that FDIC only has about one and a half percent saved up. That's like saying, hey, I've got 100,000 in the bank, but really we only protecting 1,500 of it. <laughs> That's what we're looking at. If we have like say 10% of banks fail, there won't be enough money in the FDIC to protect you. So a lot of times people say, I, I don't know where to hold cash. Do I bury my backyard? then I don't make any money on it. Do I do that? Well, that's where infinite banking comes up. And I know you had an episode recently with Brent Kessler on that, and that's great. But if you do infinite banking, I'm going to give you a warning. You got to do it right. Because I'll tell you, the way that most of these people are doing it, oh man, they're, they're just freaking insurance salespeople selling you a bunch of crap. And so, so I kind of hate the fact that infinite banking has become more popular, especially as rates have risen. That's also good because it's a tax-free savings account. You can build up that cash in. But the problem is that there's also all these agents charging unnecessary expenses that cost you money while making them more. And I don't believe in a scarcity world. I don't believe that insurance agents shouldn't make money. But I do believe that if you can make a policy and design it to be as cash-rich as possible, you should do that for your client. Otherwise, you're just you're just trying to, you know, figure out a way to make your own money, and and that's just BS. Yeah, just to remind everybody, head over to moneyripples.com to learn a little bit what more about what Chris and his team is up to. And if you found some value in what we're talking about so far today, do us a quick favor and share it with an investor friend. So, Chris, you know, I'm going to make you be a contrarian here. Jump down the rabbit hole as to. You know, you're absolutely right. I've had a lot of infinite banking people wanting to be on the show lately. It's becoming kind of a hot topic. And and to honestly, that's one of one of my better performing videos as of late, some of my more recent ones. Mm-hmm. People are hunting hunting this topic out. What makes you you brought up the fees and, and everything? Maybe we should start with what are some questions somebody should be armed with 
to make sure they're not being taken advantage of in, in the way you suggested? Yeah, you know, I think the first good question is, all right, does this person that's offering you a policy, are they an investor, right? Do they, are they an investor or are they an insurance agent? That's a big question to ask because, for example, um, give you a little background on my story. You know, when I quit being a financial advisor over 20 years ago, you know, I realized that financial advising, the stock market, the SP 500 was a joke. It didn't really make the returns everybody was saying it would. And people were not able to retire financially free, including my own father, right? And that's, and that's what got me to quit being a financial advisor. Well, I started looking into the realm of real estate investing and, uh, and I could see the light, right? I could see the hope. I could see that's about cash flow, not just accumulating money. Well, while I was doing that and getting to know these real estate investors, they all started talking about this thing called infinite banking. Now, I was a financial advisor for four years. I had never even heard of that phrase before. And so, of course, they, they say, recommend, read this book by Nelson Nash called Become Your Own Banker. So I, I read that book and I was intrigued. I was like, this is a different spin because when, they, when I realized you're talking about a whole life insurance policy. So different than term, which is just a death benefit, whole life insurance has this tax-free savings account as a part of it and a death benefit, right? They're two separate things. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, that's interesting because as a financial advisor, whenever I talk about whole life, I didn't know anything about it, but I would regurgitate what other financial advisors told me, which is whole life sucks. You know, you'll make more money in the stock market. Don't buy it. It's too expensive. Well, now I'm hearing the stuff from these investors saying it's the best things in sliced bread. Well, I go to a guy that they all recommended and I see him design the policy. Now, remember, I was an insurance license. I've actually held my life insurance license for the last now 22 years. So I had an insurance license and he's showing me the numbers. I said, well, dang, this is pretty expensive. The first two years you're showing me, all of my money is going to pay for the insurance costs. He said, yeah, unlike other insurances, even like the ones you used to do, Chris, they get more expensive over time. The whole life, it gets cheaper over time. So it's front-loaded costs. But once you get past that phrase, that, that little phase there, then it starts building up more. Okay, I said, okay, cool. That's, that's fine. All right, whatever. You're the expert. I'll trust you. But I, I remember I asked him, I said, is there a way we can make this better? And he said, no. If you try to put more cash in this, you'll get taxed. So you don't want to do that. Well, I bought that policy. That was in 2006. 2007, 2008, my cash flow is completely destroyed. It was the recessions, you know, you know, in play. I went from, you know, financially independent, you know, retired, work optional at age 28 to all of a sudden now back in the rat race and broke in, in 2008. And so I remember I had this policy. I was paying over a thousand bucks a month. I'd already paid 25 grand into it. I called the insurance company. I said, hey, I can't afford to pay these premiums. Is there a way I can stop paying these for a time? They said, no, you have no cash in here to cover the payments. So you're going to lose it. So I did pay 25 grand to have the most expensive, crappiest term policy that was AKA whole life, infinite banking policy in the world, right? It was like, that was a big waste of money. Well, I found out months later, as I started to really research it again, that insurance agent lied because I went back and I started running my own numbers because again, I was insurance licensed. So I started trying to play with numbers. I'm, that's my gift. I'm, I'm one of those guys. I like to break stuff. I like to build a better mousetrap. So I'm going through and doing that. I said, holy cow, I could have had cash from day one. This guy, he lied to me. So I went to his office. We had this two-hour debate. And I even brought up numbers. He's like, well, the death benefit's the powerful thing. You got to protect your human life value, all this kind of junk, right? I was like, fine, I'll, I'll play your game. I'll have a high death benefit. But look, because I have cash in day one, I still have just as good, if not better numbers than you have from day one onward into the future. And I still have the death benefit you were promising. So I just beat all your numbers. 
And after I got all those objections done, he's, he, I, he finally just said me, he's, he told me, he said, Chris, the reason I did it that way is because I can't afford to cut my commissions. I said, now we're talking about truth here. And by the way, I'm not going to send you a single person as a referral ever again. There is the main problem, guys, is that insurance agents, they're paid on the insurance expenses. The higher the insurance expenses, the more they get paid. This guy was not really, even though he had real estate, he wasn't a real estate investor. He was first and foremost an insurance salesperson. There's a big difference between them. That's why he was always selling the death benefit because that's where the higher cost comes from. So over the last, really, now it's gone on 15 plus years, I started to refine that. And even to the point where I, even though I wanted to refer to other infinite banker type people, I can never find one that actually would cut the cost back to the point where you have this optimal return, this max ROI. So that's why about six years ago, we took it over. We took it in-house. We said, we're going to do it ourselves. If we can't find somebody to do it for us, we're going to do it ourselves. And, and that's exactly what we did because we're, I was just really pissed off, sick and tired of seeing all these guys talking about infinite banking, even in the real estate space. And yet they're just overcharging on those fees. And you ask the question, right? How can you tell? It's not easy because there's so many different things to look at, but here's the ultimate result. Whatever gives you the most cash value, not just today, but especially down the road, the thing that gives you the most, really the least, least coming out and the higher return of your money, that is the way I like to go is how do I do that? And I, I usually minimize the death benefit. That's the secret. The problem is insurance agents. I mean, there's, there's guys I know that say, oh, well, yeah, about 40% comes out in year one and then 60% goes your cash. You should be grateful. Well, I used to think that way 15 years ago. Then I realized that was BS. Like they're just really charging you double the fees you should be paying. And so the best way to do that is to shop around. Like don't just trust that one insurance agent that says, hey, I can do that for you. Don't trust definitely no way for Northwestern because they can't do jack squat because even if you want to make it good, some companies just don't encourage it and they are too expensive, right? So they cost you mm -hmm. too much money. You got to find some of those people and then shop around. And that's why I... And here's another thing too. If the insurance agent doesn't give you the numbers after you're done with your meeting, don't go with them. One of the worst sales tactics I, I, I even heard about, even when I was insurance licensed, was don't give people your numbers until they've done the policy with you. Because if you give them the numbers, they're just going to shop you around. Well, why would that be a bad thing? Wouldn't they shop you around and realize, hey, wait, apples, apples, if all the numbers are exact here of what these different insurance agents are running, but this one's better than this one, you should actually come out with more confidence knowing that it would be better. The reason that insurance agents don't want you to do it is because they know they're giving you a bunch of crap, right? They're selling you crap. They're selling you something that they know someone else will beat and they try not to play that game. So I encourage our people to shop around and I tell them, it's like, yeah, feel free to shop around and then you'll come back because you realize we do it better. <laughs> Plain and simple. So you got to make sure. So I'm not just saying this because I'm self-serving. I do this because I was trying to protect people. Again, I'm financially independent. You know, 2016, I was able to get out of the rat race again. I was actually retired when one of my, my friends, who was a real estate investor, came to me and said, Chris, you refer me to this guy. He's a good guy, but I want you to help me and to teach my people how to do what you've done. And that's what really pulled me out of retirement the second time was was this guy was an investor, syndicator, you know, as well as a podcast host. He said, like, man, I'm, I learned so much from you and I'm a neurosurgeon. Like the guy's like, I'm, I'm a brilliant guy, but unbeknownst to me, Chris, I actually realized you're actually pretty smart too. Cause you don't talk like you are, you know, but I was like, I don't know if I should be offended or not when you say that, but thank you, mm -hmm. I guess. 
but that's the thing is like that got me out because that our mission is really to disrupt that industry so that others will step up their game. They'll actually do better. So then whether they use this or not, they can actually find more people they can trust that actually will do a good job. But again, because these people aren't financially free themselves, because they're not investors themselves, they do crappy work. And, and that's why we had to create a whole system to make sure that every single time people get the best, no matter what. Well, we were kind of knocking around the whole life or infinite banking. Is there a better vehicle to do exactly what we're talking about? No, actually whole life is better. I mean, there's some people have been trying to pass off, you know, index universal life has become popular, which is funny. I actually used to sell index universal life when I was a financial advisor 20 years ago before it got popular. And when I started training insurance agents about how index universal life worked, they would ask questions They say, Hey, what about this? Or what about this sort of thing here? What about this? And they would bring up these good objections to the point where I said, why are we selling this? This is high risk, even though it, it's not as bad as like a variable universal life, which goes up and down with the stock market, still index universal life is, is, is kind of risky in and of itself. And then if you try to use it to do like the infinite banking and really what I talk about, like getting that double dip on your real estate investment, you can't really do that well with an IUL. And what I mean is this, is that the real magic with this whole life policy, right? Besides protecting your family, which is great and all, right? But the real magic that makes this work with real estate is the fact that you can get a line of credit from either a bank or the insurance company directly to use that money to invest. Now, here's the question everybody will ask. They're like, why would I pay, pay money or pay interest to borrow my own money? And my answer is always the same because you're not borrowing your own money. You're borrowing the insurance company's money while your money's still in there earning tax-free five, really now it's close to 6% plus dividends inside there tax-free. And at the same time, yes, you're paying them a pretty low interest rate. Maybe it's the same interest rate, but if you use that money to invest in a property, that cash flows, that's the key. It's got a cash flow. If it doesn't, it's that the strategy doesn't work. If you get a positive return, profitable cash flowing property with this or cash flowing investment in general, could be even be your business. And then you use that money to pay back. You take all that, those returns, that cash flow, paying it back towards that line of credit, just like some people do with their HELOC. You know, when they're trying to invest the HELOC, they take that money and and pay down the HELOC. Same exact thing. But if you do that with the life insurance, you make more money because it's like a HELOC that pays you interest. So let's say you have $100,000 sitting in that account. You decide you're going to say, just for easy, easy simplicity's sake, you borrow 50,000. Well, your balance doesn't drop by 50,000 and then you lose the ability to earn interest on that 50. The full 100,000 is still earning interest well, now you get a 50000 from the insurance company to then go in and leverage. You make cash flow there while you're earning dividends over here on the side. You make money in two places at the same time. When I understood that, and by the way, I didn't even understand that even when I was a real estate investor before buying my first policy. He didn't explain it that way. The only thing they told me was the typical in, infinite banking was, hey, you could buy a car with this or buy your house with this. So then you don't have to pay the bank interest. They'll say you pay yourself interest, quote unquote. That is a 100% lie. You do not pay yourself interest when you borrow money from the insurance company. You pay the insurance company interest. That money actually goes to them, which helps you pay for your dividends, right? But here's where it does work is that if you take the cash flow, use that to pay down that line of credit, now it allows the money to earn more and more compounding interest compared to the simple interest that you're paying. There is where a 10, let's say, say a 10% cash on cash return of your, your investment could actually turn into 11, 12, or 13% total cash on cash return. That's the real magic. 
But again, the key is you got to make sure that the pulse you buy is profitable as quickly as possible. You got to make sure it's as low cost as you can possibly get it while still keeping it tax free. There are limits. You do you set up that way. Don't go buy a car with it. By the way, I got, I just got a car loan because we our car total we got in a bad car accident. I got a three point nine percent loan at the bank. I love borrowing the bank's money, not using my life insurance, but borrowing the bank's money as much as I can get, as much cheap money as I can get, mortgages, car loans, whatever it might be. I borrow the bank's money so that I have more cash in my policy, not not just one to hold my cash reserves, so I make more than point nothing percent at my bank, but two that I can get that double dip effect, I have more money to invest. So the big mistake I see a lot of people do is that they have these infinite banking videos out there saying, you could buy your car on this and you pay yourself the interest, not the insurance company. Lie, totally wrong, 100%, right? Like that just ticks me off when I see that kind of stuff because they're trying to sell something that really doesn't have to be overly sensationalized to sell, right? Like it's, it's in and of itself, it is a great strategy to use, but- they try to over sensationalize it. They try to create weird, funny math, you know, where they'll say, oh, it's banker's math. And then they'll try to tell you how you make thousands of percent return. BS, you do not make thousands of percent return. Notice when I said, if you make a 10% return on your, your investment over time, it might be a, like 11, 12, maybe 13% return over time average, right? So it does add a few percent, but it's not thousands of percent. But at the same time, none of my clients complain about the fact that they still make double dip on their money, right? They don't complain the fact that they are still making more than they just use your savings account. So it by itself still works great. But don't buy into the whole thing like I should pay off my house with this. I should pay off my cars with this. Don't do it. Like unless you're paying credit card rates, interest rates, I don't think that's a good idea. You know, Chris, I I frankly, now that, you know, after having this many infinite bankers on the show. I think you're the first one to state that you aren't paying yourself interest. I think every yeah. single one of them has said, stated that. Isn't that funny? Weird. It's almost like they're trying to sell you a piece of crap, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's why, and that's why like, just like the guy that sold it to me, right? The, if they have higher costs in the beginning, anyways, they'll say, oh yeah, well in five or 10 years, then you could really use it. But in the meantime, just keep building it up. And, and I'm not saying like, and I'll tell you, I mean, even our own policies, there's still costs that come out in those first few years. That's the highest cost. Now it only may only be 20 or 25% in year one, not 40% in year one, like some popular infinite bankers will do. But still like the real thing is how do I get this thing as profitable as possible as quickly as possible? When does this actually start to pay for itself that it essentially becomes free insurance and really does become that tax-free supercharged savings account? But I'll tell you the, the hardest objection I hear from people is just, Oh, those first few years, like, oh, like, no, I don't, I don't get dollar for dollar. In fact, many of them, even those with investor mindset will say, well, Chris, let's just say I put a hundred thousand in, but I only have maybe 75,000 I could borrow that first year. Well, that means I can only leverage 75,000 to invest. But if I have a hundred thousand to invest, I'm making more cash flow, right? Like I'm making more returns. And the answer is yes, you are like, there's no doubt about it. Like I'll tell you this. Here's another thing too. You will never, ever become financially free off of your life insurance alone. I know that's a bold claim and I'll piss off a lot of infinite banking guys, but it's true. I've run the numbers. It's, it's, it's good. It could even get close to competing with the stock market without all the, the bipolar risks of the stock market, but you just can't get financially free by itself. You need real estate. You need these alternative investments to work with it for it to work. So when people ask me, well, do I need to become financially to become financially free? Do I have to get infinite banking? No, 
But I'll tell you this, if you're going to invest into anything more than the next five years, if you're going to invest longer than five years, this will be better than just using your bank account because the interest you're earning inside these policies are much better than what you'll get at a bank. It does catch up despite the costs. It does catch up in, within the five to 10 year mark. So if you're only going to invest for five years and then die, don't do it. Actually, no, you probably want to do it because there's a death benefit. So never mind. I guess that would be a way to get it too. <laughs> I just talked myself out of my own point there. But, but if you're going to invest for over five years, this is a great strategy to use. One, I can hold more cash, even if it's saving up for those awesome deals that people are going to start fire selling in the real estate space. But two, it's also a great place that I can get that double dip on my like two returns in one play from, from that same dollar. That's, that's, I think, the real key factor here. Just to remind everybody, it's moneyripples.com. Check, about, check out Chris's podcast and YouTube channel there. There's a lot of great content. That This is, again, great conversation, Chris. And I'm going to, like I mentioned, point to your previous episode because I think you did a great job in talking a little bit about why you should also fire your financial advisor. So between losing my financial advisor and my insurance agent, I'm, I'm not sure what to do anymore. Well, I'll tell you, I mean, it's, it, if, you're, if you're listening to the right people, right, and you're watching shows like this, you're more likely to do it right. And I'm not saying you shouldn't have somebody to help guide you along in that process. And that's, that's why we do what we do in our business. We do those two things. We, one, help people in infinite banking to design them the right way the first time. And then two, you know, for those that are like looking more for passive investing, not so much active, you know, we even help, you know, connect people, help people strategize and do things like that to help them get out of the rat race, you know. Other than that, if we're not the best at something, we never do it. <laughs> so, because my, my opinion is this, if somebody can do something better, it's better just to refer them all the business, you know, and you can always, as a business owner, you can always make back-end compensation by being a good referral source. But I, like you said, like firing, when you fire an insurance agent and you fire a financial advisor, you're like, well, now where do you go? That's kind of the gap that we fill in. Sure. No, and and, and you, I can't say enough regarding your just being so upfront Chris, regarding your thoughts and opinions on this, to be to be honest, anytime I have asked financial advisors to advise, I usually get non-answers because they don't yeah, want any type of commitment. common answer. Yeah, right. So moneyripples.com. Before I let you go, Chris, I do have some rapid fire questions. I don't know if we did this the first time you were on the show. Well, even if we did, who cares? Let's do it again. Sounds fun. Okay. What lie do real estate investors tell themselves and maybe to others? What lie? Oh, the lie is that more doors mean more freedom. That's a big lie I hear all the time. I just had Pace Morby on my show and we, we hashed this out about passive income. He's like, Chris, like every time I go to a mastermind event, every time I have thousands of doors and I think I got to get more doors. He said, honestly, I'd be happy with just 50 good doors. Like, why do I keep pushing it? Because I'm comparing myself to everybody else. So a lot of times there's this chest thumping that goes on in the, in the real estate space. Just know it's not about the number of doors. It's about how efe- efficient you are with those doors that you have. And and I'm going to break a rule here. I try not to interrupt these rapid fire questions, but this mm-hmm. it kind of ties into something you said earlier. And I wanted to point it out as kind of a lesson. You said your business, you don't do anything unless you're the best at it. And yeah. I think as real estate investors and insurance agents, they hear of infinite banking and they think, you know, it's just part of something they can add to their marketing. You know, I, I, we've had, Mm -hmm. 
we, we were part of a local real estate meetup and we'd have insurance agents show up offering infinite banking. And, and then when you ask them a couple of questions, it, it, it sounds like they heard the buzzword and they're there. You know, it's just another distraction. It's just another a thing. We, we learned that even in real estate investing, we, we kind of over the years have kind of started to, we've more and more focused on what we really do well and let some of the other stuff set that aside. Yeah. It's great advice. Do you have a book recommendation or what are you reading right now? I'm actually reading The Gap and the Gain by Ben Hardy and, and Dan Sullivan. Great. Uh, I've always taught people that that abundance mindset is essential. Like scarcity is what destroys money. It's not just so much the investments, it's the mindset behind it. Great book that I, I think probably couldn't even teach it better than I could. So, or probably does teach it better than I do. So I definitely recommend The Gap in the Game by Ben Hardy and Dan Sullivan. If you could go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that be? Listen to me. <laughs> Listen to me now, knowing what I know now. Uh, well, definitely. I mean, although I'm grateful for the things I learned as a financial advisor, because I can now speak from both sides of the fence, I would be like, dude, buy real assets. Like stop worried about buying stocks, things that are really fake. You know, it's like crypto and stocks, and all that stuff. They're just arbitrary. Buy real assets like real estate. You can't go wrong. What single strategy, process, or tool have you implemented in your business to have a direct time-saving impact? <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm a tech idiot. I'll tell you that much. But the one, the one tool resource that seriously saved me so much time was Calendly, right? Like just having a calendar booking system versus the email back and forth. I don't know why I didn't adopt it earlier. I, I've seriously only adopted in the last three years. It took me that long. I wish I had done this years ago. It would have saved me so much time and effort and pain. Well, Chris, is there a question or concept you wished we would have covered here today? You know, it, I would just say this, is that ultimately at the end of the day, when it comes down to this, is that I said this in the beginning, right? Is that whatever you hear the masses talking about, you probably should consider doing the opposite. That's, I think that's the best thing. Like maybe I sound kind of contrarian. I am contrarian, right? But I, I'm, I'm just... I see it so often is that whenever somebody, all the masses are saying one thing or going one direction, if I go the opposite direction, I usually end up being right. And they end up usually being broke. So if you want some extraordinary life, don't follow ordinary advice. You got to do extraordinary things, which is often going against the grain, doing things that might seem crazy on the outside. But when they see the money you make, they won't think you're crazy for long. They'll think you're either lucky or somehow you're smarter than everybody else. And that's not the case. You're just doing the opposite, which is the, the real key to success here. Well, thanks again, Chris. It's Chris Miles at moneyripples.com and hope you'll come back a little sooner next time. I'd love to. Thanks. Have you learned at least one actionable step to incorporate into your real estate investing? If so, please consider returning some of that value by leaving a positive review, subscribing to our YouTube channel, or joining our growing network on Facebook and Twitter. You can find links to all of our social media accounts in the show notes. See you next time.